This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. I invite you to pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the God who speaks. You revealed yourself in your holy scriptures. And we are gathered here because we believe that you desire to speak to us today. I ask that your word would fall on open ears and open hearts, that we may receive your gospel. In Christ's name, amen. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. This is often noted when we reflect on the words of Jesus we just heard read, known as the Beatitudes. We hear Jesus proclaiming that those the world holds in low esteem, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, in reality are the blessed, the filled, the children of God. In this season of Epiphany, the revealing of Jesus Christ to the world, we learn that God does not count power, strength, wealth, or status the same way that humans do. And the Apostle Paul expounds on this very theme in his letter to the Corinthians, part of which we just heard a few moments ago. He writes in chapter 1, verse 18, and you have it in your bulletin, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The upside-down kingdom. In verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul wants his readers to have realistic expectations. They have bought into an upside-down way of seeing the world. Paul writes that if you believe and proclaim the gospel, you will sound like a fool. Neither Jews nor Gentiles, operating from within their worldviews of that day, wanted the gospel of Christ crucified. The Jewish people of that day wanted to see a sign that the reign of God was coming in power. And what they got instead was a humble carpenter who refused to incite violence and was murdered in the most shameful possible way. The Greeks, on the other hand, wanted wisdom. They valued the achievement of the mind, like the great philosophers, and Jesus turned that upside down when he claimed that true wisdom is not an achievement of reason, but a gift of revelation. And God chooses who he gives that gift to. So in both cases, between the Jews and the Gentiles, the good news of the gospel was not what they expected, nor was it what they wanted. It was a stumbling block. It sounded like foolishness. And honestly, who could blame them? The very phrase, Christ crucified, functions as an oxymoron, contradictory at its core. Christ is more than just a name. It means the anointed one, victorious Messiah, the one who saves. And crucified, well, humiliated defeated. Crucifixion was known as the cruelest, most publicly shameful way to suffer death, meant to publicly mark the end of any potential revolution or movement. 
the final word from the state on anyone who posed a threat of uprising. So Christ crucified, palatable to absolutely no one. No one wanted this message. But things go a step further. As Christians, not only do we place our only hope on a crucified Messiah, but we know that we can do nothing else but cast ourselves entirely at his feet. I think at the root of it, the real reason the gospel is a stumbling block is because it declares that we are helpless. Receiving it is humiliating. And what do I mean by humiliating? Not being publicly ridiculed as when you tear your pants in the school cafeteria, but that sense of being inwardly humbled. That, that humiliation that's not about what others see, it's not when others point the finger at you, but it's when the pretense is stripped away in your own heart and we see our lives, ourselves, for what we really are. And Paul himself knows exactly what this humiliation feels like. This Christ that he proclaims is the same Lord who threw Paul, persecutor of Christians, on his face in the dirt interrupting his hell-bent crusade, walking in hatred, living in death. Blinded by that light, face down on the ground, Paul hears the words of the Jesus that he denied, speaking to him and saying, no more. And Paul picks himself up off the ground as that humiliating truth sinks in, that all that he had given his life for up until that point was in vain that as a professional Pharisee, everything he thought he knew was wrong. He was proven a fool. But it was from this place, and only from this place, that he could truly receive Christ by faith. That humiliation, as awful as it feels, is necessary. There was an evening when I was 17 years old, a newly licensed driver, um, when I went across town to hang out with a friend for an evening, I was still in that new driver phase where my parents were very strict about exactly where I could go and when I could be out. So I was strictly allowed to only drive to my friend's house in Blonox and back, not an inch further or else. Well, if you know where Blonox is, you know that the TJ Maxx at the Waterworks is like right down the street. <laughs> so I promptly picked up my friend and off we went. It didn't matter, it was like two miles away. My parents would never be the wiser. It was so close by. We did our shopping and returned to my parents' minivan that I was driving. And I put the key in the car to go back to my parents' house. And I'm not kidding, I turned the key in the ignition and the key broke off. I will literally, for the rest of my life, never forget the feeling that washed over me in that moment. We panicked, we tried every solution we could come up with before calling my parents. We bought pliers from Walmart to pull the key out. We bought super glue to try to repair it and it wouldn't stick, it kept breaking off every time we put it back in. And that knot in my stomach had just grown to an unbearable degree when I finally accepted the truth. I have to call my parents. That phone call was the essence of humiliation. And it had nothing to do with them shaming me. It had nothing to do with them pointing the finger at me. That phone call was humiliating because I had that sinking inner feeling that I had dug myself a hole that I couldn't get out of. 
And it was a double whammy because not only did I have to ask my parents for forgiveness to cover the direct offense that I had committed, but I needed them to come and get me out. This is the gospel, the message of Christ crucified. And those of us who think ourselves wise, who think ourselves capable, maybe like the Jews or the Gentiles, we stumble over it because it calls us to account. It names us as helpless. The gospel confronts us with the reality that we are so far gone in our sin, in our rebellion, that we needed him to come as he did for us, that all of our attempts at right living amount to nothing, that not only are we accountable for the offense we've committed, but we need the very one we have offended to have mercy and come and rescue us. This is why, as Paul teaches, it's absolute nonsense to boast about who was baptized by whom or taking sides concerning church leaders. You follow Apollos and I follow Peter, as if any of that means anything. Paul longs for the believers to realize, as Father Jonathan put so well last Sunday, that the ground is level at the cross, that no achievements, whether earthly or pious, no triumphs of the will, can earn you a higher place in the presence of God. Each of us stands in the presence of God by grace and grace alone. As Paul writes, the only thing in which any of us may boast is in the goodness of our Savior. Now, for those of us whose pride compels us to compete for success and place our worth in our intelligence and in our abilities, this message is crushing. It's humiliating. Nothing I have achieved helps me out here. My self-control, my hospitality, my acts of charity, especially compared to those guys who don't seem like they're trying at all. It's often through moments of failure that the message finally gets across to us. That sense of being utterly humbled, of finding yourself in sin again, that sinking feeling when I had to call my parents in the parking lot with the broken key and the ignition, that's where we learn what it means to be saved by grace and grace alone. Because those moments carry each and every one of us to the foot of the cross where Jesus was crucified, and where we have nothing more to do but to throw ourselves at his feet. I think of the Apostle Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest, at the moment when, out of fear and self-preservation, he denied three times that he knew Jesus. And Luke's gospel tells us this brutal detail, that at the third denial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I think of those two locking eyes across a courtyard full of how many people, and the way Peter's heart must have just dropped into his gut. That humiliation of Peter's heart is the space into which the love of God would flood. Many of you are familiar with the scene on the beach after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, the first encounter with Peter he has since that night. And Jesus restores Peter, asking him, do you love me? Three times, undoing, replacing Peter's exact failure with love. Not shaming Peter for what he did, not punishing, rather in gentleness, in that very space of Peter's failure, Jesus brings him back 
when he no longer had any great personal resolve to lean on, Peter learned grace. The Christian life is a lifelong reckoning with the reality that we bring nothing that makes us worthy of God's love. That no matter our achievements, success, whatever we gain or lose, you and I and the great theologian and the yucky politician and the refugee and the criminal and the young child are entirely leveled at the foot of the cross. And this is the stumbling block. It goes against everything we've been taught to think. It can be a dreadfully difficult pill to swallow. But Paul teaches us here that in reality, those who receive Christ in his apparent weakness, those who receive the gospel of Christ crucified, find it to be the very power and wisdom of God. As I've reflected on these things over the past few weeks, um, I've landed on two things that I want to encourage you toward. The first is this. Pay attention to where the power of God is showing up in weakness around and among us. The Apostle Paul writes, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, the things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Many of you are familiar with the work and writings of Henri Nouwen, one of those Christian saints who, when you read his writings and his prayers, you just know that he got it. He got the gospel. He got the love of God. But he didn't always get it. Nouwen was a a Roman Catholic priest and quite well known as a tenured professor at Yale. He was a successful author, yet he was prompted by a feeling of personal spiritual deprivation And he left Yelf and followed the Lord on a journey that left him in Toronto at L'Arche Daybreak Community, the name is French, which is comprised of people with developmental disabilities and assistants who live, work, and learn with them. The mission of these communities is to celebrate and live out relationships of mutuality, according to their website, striving for a world where everyone can belong and contribute. To many around Nowen, joining the Daybreak community was a significant step down, a decrease in life. It was foolish. Yet this was the very place that Henri Nowen discovered the love of God, made manifest in this unique social setting where he himself experienced belonging for the first time. It changed his life. On being asked to describe L'Arche, Henri Nowen is quoted as answering, L'Arche is not a service institution or a group home. It is a community that exists to reveal God's love. Our people are given to the world to tell others about peace and forgiveness and celebration, to make them aware that in the midst of their brokenness, there is joy, that in the midst of their wounded nature, there is healing. Elsewhere, he's quoted saying that in their poverty, the mentally handicapped reveal God to us and hold us close to the gospel. That's a vision we have to nurture and deepen. I'm just beginning to discover it. I am no expert on it. Nobody really is. But we live it very tenderly." End quote. It took living at L'Arche for now when to receive the fullness of the gospel, not in the lecture halls or conversing with the great theologians, but here where his professional wisdom had no merit. 
living among those whom the world deems as having nothing to offer. Here, Nowen learned what Paul meant in saying that God's power is displayed in weakness. That God chose what is low and despised in the world, the things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. I wonder where you see God's power displayed in weakness in your life, among those that you interact with. Where has your wisdom or your competence been put to shame by the gospel, by God's power in those that the world assigns as weak? If you are having trouble answering, I encourage you to consider those who the world ignores. I mentioned already those with disabilities who have been too often cast aside as problems rather than as unique image bearers. But what about the economically poor, the incarcerated, ethnic minorities, refugees, immigrants, those who experience discrimination and disrespect because English is not their first language, children, in many places, women. These are people the Lord deeply loves. I wonder where you have seen God's power, the gospel, made manifest among those the world calls weak. And if not, how might you engage closely enough to bear witness to learn Christ through them? In what ways might God tear down your self-made wisdom and strength, replacing it with more of himself? And for those of you who may identify more with members of the weak category, take heart because the Lord delights in showing forth his glory through you. So first, I encourage you to pay attention to where the power of God is showing up in weakness among and around us. And secondly, when you experience moments of humiliation, not if, but when, let Christ in. You are not condemned. You are being invited to come back to the foot of the cross. As we learn to embrace the gospel of Christ crucified, when we seek Christ among the despised and the cast aside, we will time and time again experience the humiliation of our wisdom and of our strength. Some healthy Peter moments where we learn what it means to be saved by grace. I think perhaps the place I most often feel this gospel humiliation is as a parent. Because God delights in our children. He created them to be adventurous and brilliant and creative and headstrong. And we as grown-ups cannot control them. And that is so frustrating. Me, with my masters of divinity, ordained as a priest, for goodness sake. I am bested by my preschoolers every night at bedtime. <laughs> my lack of control becomes so evident and often I respond defensively, like that's an attack on my abilities. And with, I respond with greater efforts to enforce my power. I can find myself overcome by frustration and lose my ability to extend grace and at the end of it all, collapse on the couch in a tornado of anger and shame. And just like that, the facade of my competence, of my self-control, of my wisdom, my virtue, is torn away by my precious children simply being children. Suddenly, I am at the foot of the cross once again, eyes open to my own helplessness, realizing that I'm no further along than when I started, 
I have nothing to offer as merit. And in those moments, the crucified Christ meets me not with shame or accusation, as much as I feel like I deserve it. Wherever those moments are for you, he does not meet you with shame or accusation. Those moments when I feel I can't bear to look up at Jesus, how could I, given what I've just done? I'm invited. Sometimes I need to hear it spoken by others. Sometimes I feel a gentle nudge in my spirit. I'm invited to look at Jesus, and if I can bear to do it, I find him loving me, still loving me. Those are sacred moments when your heart is ripe to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, to receive for the first time or the millionth time the crucified Messiah who bore our shame and humiliation on the cross and left it buried in the ground when he arose back to life. The gospel is so sweet, so beautiful, so contrary to how the world has trained us to think that we often find ourselves stumbling over it rather than submitting to it. You are invited this morning to submit to it. The humiliating part never really gets any easier. So whether you are new to this or you have walked this road for decades, you're in safe company. Christ died for you. He died for you because you needed him. And you will never be strong enough wise enough or pious enough to pay him back. Each of us, according to the Apostle Paul, has the same testimony. God in Christ has rescued me. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen.